0: And the fun part is really how you adapt to it. You know, how do you how do you, you utilize what you have in your backpack to it, its best capabilities? Whether or not it's intended use for that. Like, I mean, I know that melons on the hoodie was not intended to go over my legs. Um, and, and it's crazy because it didn't stretch out, which is awesome, you know. Or at least it shrank back when I tried it. But that's something that's really exciting to, to really let that Like, see how you can adapt to a situation under pressure, under stress, and then, yeah, come out on the other side and and look at it and go, okay, this is what I definitely would have done differently, and then be able to
1: laugh at it. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, just back from my daily walk of the same miles every single day. And this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Laser Goat, known off trail as Anthony Earl. He's completed the distance of the Appalachian and Colorado trails. And on the AT, he started out with a 55 pound pack, which included a different hat for each day of the week. Suffice to say, things have changed since then. And in this episode, we talk about the other side of the dilemma, with whether or not to cut your toothbrush, thunderstorms in Colorado, peanut butter trail magic, and purple rain skirts. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Laser Goat.
0: hey Aaron how are you
1: I'm very well how are you doing Anthony
0: oh I'm great uh, amongst all the uh, the outside pressures going on in the world you know
1: <laughs> I know it's a little wild
0: yeah yeah absolutely but it's uh, it's a beautiful day here I'm hanging out in uh, in northeast Texas right now and uh, yeah I can't complain just on some farmland
1: perfect so you're doing the social distancing thing the social isolation
0: <laughs> something like that something like that. It wasn't intentional. Um, we ended, I ended up coming out here. I've been kind of on the road uh, since early February, uh, so I ended up coming out to Northeast Texas where I play in a band out here. So we came out, do some music. The whole band was getting together, work on some of our projects, and then uh, you know, kind of ended up uh, getting stuck here in a great way. So
1: <laughs> I feel like this is the perfect time to tell stories about the trail.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's the best time to reminisce, or even or even contemplate. Going on a new through hike, and I, I, I feel all of the emotions that uh, are going on right now in our in our community, where some people are having to cancel their through hikes um, recently. So uh, I feel that I've been there um, in that emotional state where you're about to leave, and then having that just shut down right away for out of good conscience. I mean, those are those are really tough decisions to make.
1: Very much so. I think that's probably the hardest. Part of it is just the not knowing, particularly for people who haven't started yet, you know. And you're you're kind of making decisions on the fly right now.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And most of it's all based on timeline too. I mean, uh, it, taking off from work or, or putting a career on pause, or even uh, in between school. I mean, that's not easy to plan out and project towards uh, the future. And even I'm looking at trying to do. Uh, another long distance in September, and uh, you know, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen in September? We might be looking at a different uh, a different world.
1: <laughs> yeah. What What are you looking at wanting to do in September?
0: Um, in September, a, a friend and I would like to attempt the uh, the Oregon Timber Trail, which is a trail that basically goes from uh, the southern border of Oregon all the way to the northern border um, up near Hood. So uh, it's it's all bike packing. So that's kind of the goal is to do a bike packing route for the first time and kind of challenge uh, myself and ourselves in a completely different capacity that we've never done before. So that one's about 700 miles and all mountains, all Oregon. So
1: <laughs> and all on <laughs> exciting. bike.
0: Exciting and all on bike, yeah. So that's a uh, yeah. I think uh, as as much as I've loved uh, walking long distances, I also love being on the fi- uh, bicycle. It's just a uh, a lot faster, and it's just different, you know? So I wanted to at least try it out, see how I feel about it.
1: (laughs) And, you know, 700 miles would be a nice tryout.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, the funny thing is, like, with long distance, there's no real big difference between a weekend and several weeks, in my mind, other than just, like, your mindset changes a little bit. And instead of getting to go home to your own shower at the end of the, you know, the weekend, you maybe find a, a random shower from someone who opened up their home to you or, or like a hostel or, or a hotel or whatever works, for you know, or, or a creek or a lake, whatever works. <laughs> but <laughs> Those are I do awfully love cold
1: showers time. though.
0: <laughs> they really are. And I don't, I mean, a lot of people talk about doing them. I'm not a big fan of them because I'm, I'm really not a water person. I'm more of a desert person so like getting into ice cold water like that I mean I get in I lose my breath for a few minutes I kind of yeah. splash the the important places and then I get out and that's that's it and you feel good as new I mean you feel bright and dandy so
1: it's like taking um. an ice bath
0: oh yeah 100% it's it's like uh taking an ice bath to another level um, <laughs> where the only the only things that can really hear you scream are kind of like the plants and the birds around you and then <laughs> But your, your, your whole body's energized after you take a mountain lake bath or something, you know, it's yeah. just, you're completely alert, I feel. So.
1: It's uh, yeah. good to be alive, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing like that feeling, especially like when you, when you finally, when you touch trail this year, there's nothing like that. The, the step into the unknown. I mean, there's only a couple of moments in life. I feel that we, we get that option, you know? And and that's one of them where we finally just we're pointing in one direction and we're just going to see what happens. Um,
1: <laughs> How did that go for you when you stepped on the AT?
0: Um, yeah, that was. I stepped on the AT in 2014 and started at Amick Falls, and it I was it was strange because my mom stepped on the trail with me first, and it took a lot to even convince my mom that this was, like, like pe- not only that our people are doing this, but that I'll uh, be okay, and, and then I'll be gone for a couple months. So, that feeling, I mean, I've never, I, I tried not to, but I totally cried. Like, we hugged at the at the arch, my mom walked in maybe, you know, a couple hundred yards of me, and then she turned around and said goodbye, and, like, this the tears in her eyes, I was like, mom, it's gonna be all right, like, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be great, just, uh, you know, it was, it was strange for her to, to let go of that because my mom. I'm from South Texas, like San Antonio. I mean, people in South Texas aren't talking about the, the Appalachian Trail, they're not talking about long distance hiking, they're hardly talking about backpacking, you know. So, total culture shock to my mom to not really understand where I'm coming from on that right away. And I was also, I took a semester off college, I basically dropped out. <laughs> uh, it was like it was like my spring semester of my first senior year. I had changed majors, and the and long story short, I just uh, I had at least two semesters left of school. Uh, I think it ended up being three semesters, but I ended up just needing that break. And so when I you know kind of called my mom and said, "Hey, kind of dropped out of school and coming home." It was early end of December, early January, and then by March of that year, I was hitting the trail.
1: Now you had dropped out because you were going to hit the trail, or you having dropped out sort of opened the door for the trail
0: my i dropped out so i could hit the trail Okay, and i feel like drop out is such a
1: i don't you even know if for i
0: like it yeah it's more like a sabbatical more like a sabbatical i knew i was going to come back um as long as i didn't get offered a job while i was on trail i was definitely going to come back because at that point in my life i was studying uh business and marketing at, at a college in arkansas and the goal was to end up in some position where I could rock outdoor sales, uh, in the outdoor industry. That was kind of my goal was to break into the outdoor industry in some capacity. So if, uh, if I can, the trail, if I stumble around, uh, along the right people or, uh, in the right place, right time, I would uh, essentially take that opportunity if it, if it came up.
1: Why so. did the trail have to happen at that particular moment for you?
0: That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, so the way I got on trail is a lot different, I feel, than, um, than the, than the normal. So most people, they dream about it for years, they plan it for years, and then they do it. And for me, I had learned about the Appalachian Trail probably around like 2011, 2012. I, you know, I watched the National Geographic documentary that was out, um, at the time and just thought, wow, that's, that's insane. Like I couldn't imagine doing that. I mean, I hardly have any backpacking experience. And then I was, working on campus, uh, at one of my on-campus, uh, jobs and positions. And I was on Twitter at the time and I was scrolling by and I saw that vast footwear had put out something like interested in hiking the Appalachian trail. And it was, it was a link to click on and it was an application. So I clicked on a link, I applied and they just asked a couple questions, you know, like what your experience is, what you're doing, where you are in your life basically, uh, and why you want to hike. And I filled that out shot it to the wind, didn't think about it again until about December when I was sitting uh, sitting at home right before I went back to college. And I was sitting at home and I got an email that said, hey, you've been selected as a finalist for the Through Hike Syndicate. And I totally forgot about what that was. I had no idea. And then after I started thinking about it, I said, oh my gosh, I applied for this you know, months ago, not even thinking that I would hear back from them. Because that's the way it goes. I've, I can't tell you how many jobs or things I've applied to, I've never heard back from anything. Um, And so I went back to college about a week and a half later and was sitting in a meeting after I'd said, yes, I'm still interested. Um, And in this meeting, I got another email from them and they said, congratulations, you've been selected as one of the members for the first inaugural through hike syndicate. Uh, So uh, myself and several others uh, were essentially like this team that we were going to take on the Appalachian Trail. And we all had different start dates and different start locations. But the Through Hike Syndicate now is on their seventh season, I believe. And they are all over the place. And they have so many so many athletes that they uh, have working with them. And the through Hike Syndicate is like vast, and Nemo equipment and Osprey Packs and Darn Tough Vermont Socks and Lucky Poles. And that was like, essentially, they were offering to uh, supply me with the gear to help my dreams come true. And in exchange, all I had to do was blog about it, just talk about my experience on trail. And the idea was to hopefully inspire more people to spend more time outside. That was it. That was the only catch. That was it. It was just pure and simple. And I loved that. So with that being said, I had to pick a start date. And after doing my little bit of research, I said, all right, March seems like the best time to start before, you know, the hiker bubble in April is really huge. And, uh, and I wanted to go northbound so I could, uh, end in Maine. I mean, it was, it just it made sense to me at the time. And so as soon as I had said, yes, I realized I was committed to that. And that's kind of what really, really made it all sink in. So I put everything else on pause. It was perfect. I was going through a really awful breakup at the time. I was, I just needed something like other than what I was doing. I was, I was just drowning in, in schoolwork. I, I was ready to change gears for a minute and shift my life again. You so needed a pause. Happened. I needed a pause and I, uh, I've always been kind of that way when, when I realize that something's not working out, I don't sit in that, in that like stomp and just stay in one spot. I try to keep myself guessing and keep changing it up and keep pushing like my own personal boundaries. Cause if I do that for myself, then something's going to happen. Something's going to change. And that's why I've always looked at, at that from a positive aspect is, you know, if you don't like your situation, try something else or do something
1: else. You know, it's so interesting that, you know, the through hiking the through hike syndicate, you know, provided you with the gear and whatever that got you on trail, but there was some small kernel within you that was looking for it because you applied for it in the first place. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely big into like energy options and energy work and manifesting um, your possibilities Um, or at least, at least putting those thoughts in your head and, and, and trying to achieve them. And so I knew at some point in time, I had told myself, uh, with that, with the partner that I was with at the time that when we graduated college, which was probably going to be 2015, I was trying to talk her into doing it with me. I'm like, Hey, we should attempt to do maybe even a section of it. And, uh, she was an engineer major. So that was way out of the question. It, It was a, it was a really hard, no, it was like, can't do it. Right after I graduate, it'll be it'll be like straight into um, internships and then straight into a career. And I was like, oh, well, geez, <laughs> I'll keep working on that pitch for a little while. I'll get better at it. So I knew I knew at some point I wanted to at least step foot on it, because at that time, too, I had never been to Georgia. You know, I had never seen any of those states. I actually at that point in time, I had been to yeah Texas and Arkansas and Louisiana because we have family there but that's it I had been to essentially three states and yeah when I hit the Appalachian Trail I mean that was another 14 states and essentially the whole east coast experience so that made me the person I am right now it built in that the not only the idea of adventure but the idea to travel and experience life and culture in other parts of the states and And that's just, it's just manifested since then. It's just gotten worse. I just want to be everywhere now. I want to experience every culture and every place on the planet.
1: (laughs) What, in seeing 14 states over five months or whatever it was, how did that change your impression of the states, of the United States, just kind of seeing it at that level?
0: Oh, I I hadn't gotten to a point in my life then where I was jaded by humanity. You know, I wasn't it wasn't like, oh, like I wish people would take care of each other more. And I, I didn't have any negative thoughts. And I'm thankful for that because even then I recognized how amazing uh, the human race is uh, at that smaller level where I was, so many people were so nice to me for no reason. I mean, I also, I can't grow a beard. So I <laughs> so I didn't look threatening <laughs> when I was getting picked up by hitchhikes. Right. Um, and, and all the trail magic on the Appalachian Trail, I mean, that is definitely not a reason to hike, but man, when I, my first experience with it was nuts. It was, it was like all these lovely older women who had come out from their church group and made us like breakfast on a, on an ice cold morning. It was, it was dumping rain, uh, middle of, of just like Northern Georgia. I mean, just, I had been on trail for, I don't know, like maybe a day, so 10 miles. And I was already like getting whooped by the, by the, uh, by the actual weather. And and these nice beautiful ladies came out and and helped us out with some warm food and and just and just smiled and, and just gave us those cheering thoughts, It's like you're gonna make it, you know, you're you're gonna do it, like congratulations for being out here, uh, and all throughout the trail, that whole experience was was like that. It was like the open warm hug of humanity, where people were helping people. I had I had never felt anything like that, where I, I could depend on people who weren't even my neighbors but they felt like neighbors and then later felt like they were family you know that was that changed the way I looked at the world and it changed who I wanted to be too in the world it made it made me want to be able to give that back at some point in my life or all the time I mean I live in southern Oregon now so being able to do trail magic here and there is, is awesome and being able to give people lifts from like Callahan's Lodge into Ashland is great you know and even uh, I live out of my van now, so I can't really just like offer people a place to stay. But being able to <laughs> at the time, being able to, you know, bring over like 10 through hikers and let them crash in the yard or like in the house and everyone grab a shower and I can help them do a resupply and then we all get all, you can eat all Chinese food. It's like, <laughs> those are the moments in my life that like really stick out because I know what it felt like to be in their shoes multiple times now where you're just, where you just need a little bit of help. And then someone comes out and they give you that warm hug and they say, jump in the truck, you know, we'll throw your packs up top and and we'll get you to town and we'll get you some beer and we'll get you some food and we'll get you a shower and some laundry. Laundry's so important. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> a new appreciation for laundry.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, you could make it last for a while, but I mean, when I started the AT, oh my gosh, I, I had, what the heck was I wearing? I was wearing, I think I was wearing like pants. I had pants. And I had shorts, and I don't even know what. Oh, I was wearing like a like a dry fit shirt, so that was nice. But I think I had like several pairs of clothes when I started the AT. My pack was at least fifty five pounds, and <laughs> I started with like two weeks of food, so a, a solid fifteen pound food bag in my in my backpack. So, yeah, I learned I learned so much from that hike.
1: It sounds like you learned so much just from the first week.
0: That first week was so so game changing too. I actually started the uh, Appalachian Trail with a different hat for each day of the week. Excuse um, me. So <laughs> yeah, you heard that right. I had a uh, I had brought so much gear. I'm not even lying to you. I had I laid it out all in like a hotel bed the night before, and it took up a whole like you know queen size hotel bed of gear. I just had so much. I don't know. I have no idea what I was doing. I just I was prepared at least, but I definitely I brought a different hat for each day of the week uh partially because i like hats and the other part because i thought it'd be hilarious you know like she's walking up to someone on trail on monday and then on wednesday you see him again they're like wait a minute don't you wearing a different hat and then like on on friday even like wearing a completely different hat kind of just throwing people for that loop like does this guy really have this many hats and that got old real quick I <laughs> so, um, like uh, at, at the first uh at the first mailbox so but I did. I started with them. I I didn't know what to expect. I even had, you know, like no no knocking on plastic cups. But I had like my little like plastic REI cup for the longest time until it cracked. And now I don't even think about carrying a a cup to drink like tea or or you know any liquid out of. I just use my pot and I drink out of that. So it's uh it's funny how how the times have changed because now I don't even you know I, I wouldn't even think about bringing multiple hats. So I would just I would, I would almost go to a trail without a hat and then find a hat in like a higher box and steal that hat and then just rock and roll. So that's kind of the mindset
1: has changed so much. You become more of a hunter and gatherer.
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I would give myself that much credit, but yeah, I would, I would say that I'm very happy with very minimal items in my life now. that trail really taught that to me. I mean, and living out of a very large backpack for that long, uh, just every time I thought back at it, I mean, I tried to get rid of so much on the trail and I was, for some reason, I had so much sentimental value to a lot of pieces of gear I had brought, which was even harder. That's the hard part about being a human and, and packing for a long distance trip for months is that you want to bring all these things that are not only comforting, but you have so many prior memories with that you believe in, but then you have to let them go at some point. And like, for instance, I had a goal zero, like, you know, like the rechargeable solar panels on my backpack, it was the AT. When they say green tunnel, they mean (laughs) it. Like (laughs) there was no extra sunlight. (laughs) So same thing, like I had to send those back. And then I had, I had, you know, my iPhone and my iPad. And actually I was really happy to have the iPad because my iPhone at the time definitely needed an update. So all the photos my iPhone took were just garbage. And then my iPad photos, my iPad got all the photos, all the videos. I mean, that's where all the memories still lie essentially, aside from what I've posted on, uh, you know, the social platforms. But even then, it's, if I had had an upgraded phone, I would have just, just used the phone and sent the iPad home. But there's just so many, like, little nuances to your gear that, yeah, eventually you'll go, oh, why am I using this? Or I haven't used this in, in weeks. So I'm just going to send this phone. So, yeah, but definitely. Even uh, doing the Colorado drill this past year, I did that as well. Same thing. I started with some gear and then by the first time I could get to a post office, I said, nope, don't need any of this anymore. We're sending it home. Haven't used it once. So And just kept shredding. So less is more for sure.
1: Was that sort of the, the line where at a certain point, you know, two days, three days, whatever it is into it, you're like, okay, I haven't used it. Don't need it. Send it home.
0: I would say so two or three days is tough um, because when I got onto like, say for instance, the Colorado Trail. So I started the Colorado Trail with uh, with the Prodigy and another friend of ours, KP. And when we all flew into Denver together, we went straight essentially from Denver to KP's house, kind of just like made a quick little resupply run for food, maybe like what we hadn't already packed. And then we went to the trail that same day. So on the way to trail, though, I had asked specifically, hey, can we run by like an REI or a gear shop so I can snag some fuel? Because I didn't have I like I like I like a hot meal at night. Uh, and we were like, oh yeah, we'll totally do that. We all spaced on it. We got to the trailhead we started hiking. And that night was when I realized I didn't grab any fuel. So for the first four or five days before we got to the next, or I guess it was really two or three, it was like, it was like three days. First two or three days, I was just carrying a pot and, and a and a stove and I had no way to use any of it. So it was basically dead weight. So, but that two or three days, I mean, I knew I still wanted to get fuel and I knew I wanted to use that. Those as my like essentials. So I couldn't send those home, but I'd say about two weeks into a trail, a solid two weeks into a trail, you'll know, you'll know, you'll say, you'll say, why, why am I carrying this whole thing? of Tic Tacs. I could put all <laughs> the Tic Tacs into a Ziploc and get rid of this like big plastic piece of the, the Tic Tacs. And that's just a random example, but yeah, that's kind of the, the extreme, you know? Yeah. You start, you'll start to find ways to just shred everything out. And, and I'm not even that extreme. But at one point I did cut my toothbrush in half, you know, just to see what all the hype was about.
1: <laughs> so what is all the hype about?
0: You know, it's, it's trying to get <laughs> the absolute lightest way to brush your teeth. And I don't is know. I I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I could say, I think mentally the placebo was there. I definitely felt like my pack was lighter after I cut that three, <laughs> or four inches off my toothbrush. But here's the hard part. Every morning and every night, you got to take your hand and if you want to scrub the back of your tongue, you got to get like, I don't know how short everyone else cut their toothbrush. Maybe I cut mine too short, but you got to put like a solid two digits or not two digits, but like two knuckles to the back end of your mouth to just like get in there and like really scrub that tongue down, you know? So that was the part I didn't like about having a shorter toothbrush was like just trying to like get all my brushing done appropriately and not having the leverage and and the distance to go to actually clean my tongue. (laughs) Uh, so. Yeah,
1: I, I see the logistical challenges every time I see one of those toothbrushes.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, the workaround is, I mean, there's all kinds of ideas out there, but I was always a big fan of those just travel toothbrushes that, you know, have the, like, blue or green cap, and then you know, the toothbrush slides into the cap, and then when mm-hmm. you're ready to use it, you pull them apart, slip them, and then put them back together. I always yep. like those. I mean, they're pretty light, and then you don't have to worry about your toothbrush, you know, brushing up on anything else in the back. I don't want... I don't want my toothbrush to, like, be brushing up on, on like, my uh, my 10 stakes or anything like that, you know? <laughs> once again, extreme example. That That's not how I work.
1: <laughs>
0: but it, That's not it's actually nice to... how you pack, but... <laughs> no, not at all. Everyone's thinking, like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> no, that's not how I pack, so...
1: and everybody's thinking we need but, an intervention.
0: Yeah, but it was interesting to do it because, you know, when I'm not on the 18 2014 ultralight i don't know that i could say that ultralight was as predominant as it is now as, as a mainstay topic or even a cultural must it feels like it feels like a peer pressure thing at this point where it's like oh you're you're packaged how many pounds geez check that weight. you know like people some people can get in their heads about it and then it can it can really be like a kind of like a social bullying kind of thing where where you start, like, looking at your pack going, oh, man, like, maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't have brought those seven hats, you know? Like, But those, I feel like everyone learns at a different rate on that. Like, I mean, you can do the research and you can find all the things, but I'm a huge fan of just starting out with gear and, then, and figuring out from there because not everyone has that budget anymore and not anyone or not everyone does that kind of research. They don't really need to be ultralight. But at my time on the AT, people were already starting to do it. You know, I saw... I saw the nuances and I saw people cutting their toothbrushes and, and I, in my head I was thinking, oh, I don't know about that. I saw my electric toothbrush, I was good to go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, just everyone's everyone's different on that,
1: I guess. I feel like a little bit of the ultralight is beneficial because obviously less weight is better for your body and your joints and you know that kind of thing. But I also feel like it's become a competition.
0: Oh yeah, totally, yeah who's pack is smaller and, and everything else. And I, I know a ton of amazing, great people who are ultra light and, and incredible humans that would never make you feel that way. But I've also met the others that will make you feel that way. If they look at your pack They you get some judgment and and I don't know if that's like a superiority thing or not, but I've, I've always looked at it this way that I'm more of ultra comfortable. I'm very happy being ultra comfortable. So I try to stay pretty lightweight uh, overall for my gear. and then. I also try to make sure like sleep is the biggest thing to me on trail. I mean, uh, if you're not sleeping well, you're going to have an awful experience. But if you can if you can have a night, if you can sleep every night or you can go to bed every night knowing you're going to pass out on your on your favorite pad or your favorite pillow or your favorite sleeping bag or down quilt, I mean, you're going to wake up the next day and you're going to feel refreshed. And that's that's big for me. I love sleep.
1: <laughs> so what has your your sleep kit evolved to?
0: So my sleep kit devolved and then evolved again. Um, oh, so I started out. <laughs> yeah. So, so on the AT, I had uh, the full Nemo system. I had like the Nemo tensor pad um, from back in the day. And then I had like the big Nemo, um, the spoon bag, the disco 15, I believe is what it was. And then, uh, and I didn't use a pillow at the time. I think I was just using my, my chat. Ja- oh, I think I was just using my jacket. Um, but so I started Pretty much like all the all the bigger heavier essential gears because I knew it was going to be cold and I knew I wanted to be comfortable on the AT Um, and I never experienced anything like that. Um, For instance, that the first time I saw snow like real snow in the woods was uh, uh, I was like my first time in the Smokies, so a couple weeks into the trail essentially, and I've never been more cold in my life. And that gear essentially felt it feels like it saved my life. Uh, But from there, I went to this trail on the Colorado Trail. And I had this recycled foam pad. I was working. A, I worked for REI for almost four years, and I recently um, finally decided to split ways. And one of my buddies worked in shipping, and he would have all of this all of this material that we would essentially we would sometimes have to throw away. We wouldn't know what to do with it. So he he would take that extra material and he'd find things to do with it. He'd use it in the in the back warehouse for like extra padding or extra storage for um, for our kayaks or any of our larger items that. We wanted to protect from damage, but one day he snagged me a piece, and it was just like this really thin, like quarter eight inch foam, um, like you could buy online from any of the major ultralight companies. Uh, and he brought it out and he said, "Hey man, we should try this out because he's like interested. He wants to get to his pack level where it's, it's pretty light. And if anything, it was it was like a nice cheap yoga mat for us. And I thought, yeah, I'll give that a shot. And I liked it so much that little quarter foam that I decided I would start the Colorado Trail with it as my like sleeping pad. Mistake huge mistake i didn't sleep the first week at all like just every night i was just tossing and turning it was very uncomfortable and it was not very warm so then the next time we got to go to a, uh, a gear store we ended up having to we caught a bus and then we hitchhiked into dillon colorado went to an rei there picked up the uh, the rei flash pad because um, it's great it's a great price and i've had it for a good while now it's warm it's light um, so i rocked it so i got that pad I was also using, um, the REI Ignia 17 sleeping bag. Uh, so also still a light sleeping bag. I haven't gotten to a point where I can afford any of the down quilts. I'm really interested, but the light sleeping bag was, was easy enough. And I kind of use that sleeping bag as a quilt for the most part on the trail until it got really cold. Uh, and I don't usually use a pillow. I kind of, I go back and forth. I'm always kind of like, I'm weird where I, I kind of think, Oh, if I use a pillow too much, my neck's going to be in a weird position. The rest of my life or whatever so i kind of try <laughs> to vary it so i'll use the pillow some nights i won't use the pillow others it kind of depends but i'm using one of those uh, it's the Hyperlite mountain gear pillow that can like flip out into itself uh, so it's kind of like dyneema uh, essentially and then it has like a polar text fleece on one side and okay. it's nice because you can you don't have to leave the polar fleece out so it'll touch your toothbrush and your tent poles like i was talking about earlier but you can flip that in- inverted essentially and then use it as a storage sack as well. So I'll use that with a down jacket, and I'll throw my down jacket in there as a pillow for most of the nights. Um, but that's, I mean, for me, that that's what's working. I <laughs> uh, still want to still want to keep like upgrading and figuring out the system a little more. I've tried the egg carton, you know, the uh, the Thermarest mm-hmm. uh, Z Rest pad. Uh, that is an entirely different breed of of uh, comfort. So I'm, I've tried it. I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm not that hardcore. <laughs> um, cause I, I tend to, I used to be just a back sleeper and then for a while I was just like a stomach sleeper and I could just kind of work that. And now I, I've kind of more rotisserie style, but I tend to fall asleep and wake up on my shoulders. So I'll wake up, you know, on my left or my right shoulder and then my neck will definitely have a trick in it. So I'll, I'll definitely need the pillow for that. But if I'm sleeping on any of the, of the uh, Therm-Rest rest pads, I mean, at that point, I, it's just too close to the ground. It's not comfortable. And, yeah. and I'm big on comfort. I want to be, I can deal with almost any kind of weather and a lot of uncomfortable situations, but sleeping, I mean that I dream, I'm a dreamer. So like, if you mess with my dreams, now you're messing with me. It's like, uh, so I want to be able to have a good night's rest. Uh, and sleep through the night at least. So I'll I'll carry the little bit of extra weight for the sleeping bag and the sleeping pad for now.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it and feels below, maybe it feels like the your sleep system and your the sleep system's ability to to make you comfortable and allow you a good night's sleep and keep you warm and all of that kind of stuff is sort of the saving grace when your whole day has been uncomfortable potentially.
0: Absolutely. That's a, that's one thing that I look forward to. I mean, actually it's the second thing. The first thing is, is a hot meal and same thing. I've tried the no stove uh, and some people, they love it. They rave about it. It works for them. I'm not, I don't like cold noodles. I want to have like, I'm a, I'm a pretty normalized guy on trail. Like I do like double ramen, one tuna, and then I bring my own spices and maybe throw in some of the cheese block I was eating at lunch and maybe throw in some chips or some tri-colored tortilla strips in my, in my soup. And that's my soup. And that's every night that works for me. It works in my digestive tract. I never feel like bogged down energy wise the next day. Um, And, and I, and I always eat the whole thing, you know, so I figured out what I like to eat at night, even when I'm fully exhausted, I can still eat the double ramen tuna with whatever else I throw in there. So I look forward to that. I look forward to cooking that up and then jumping into my tent and sleeping bag uh, or, or whatever my setup is at the time and passing out like that. I know those things about me and that's, Pretty much the goal—just make it there—and and and I know I'll have that hot meal ready.
1: You'll have that comfort.
0: Hundred percent. It is it is comfort, especially after a long day in the rain. Or I mean, and I loved the Colorado Trail. I think I've never been more scared in my life on a daily basis, though, due to the uh, the amount of lightning and the frequency of thunderstorms (laughs) at high mountain passes and elevations. Uh, So every end of the day, I I was like the, the biggest sigh of relief to have made it because on that trail, I felt. Every day I'd wake up around like 6, 6.30, be walking by 7, and then try to knock out. I usually try to do at least like 10 to 15 miles before noon. Uh, and hopefully by that time, I've made it over all the mountain passes. Uh, and then after that, you know, continue with my day and see how far I go. But in between, I would say like 11 a.m. and and really like 3 p.m., that whole window is potential for thunderstorms uh, in the mountains. And that's what I'm trying to do my, some of my biggest, like the biggest chunk of my day I'm trying to get through in that moment. So yeah, every night after that, I, I, when I sat down and, and started making dinner, I was so relieved. And, and I also, when I start cooking dinner, I mean, when I turn on the, I like get to camp, I go grab water, I filter it and I start cooking before I start doing anything else. And so while the burners go in, while the noodles are cooking, from there, I start setting up my tent, my sleeping pad, my sleeping bag, filtering extra water. So that way, by the time I'm done, like with base camp set up, dinner's ready and I don't have to sit around and wait for dinner to be ready. I can just basically eat dinner. So it's always been great for me.
1: You have your routine. Your that's yeah, my your system. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a great feeling whenever you're actually eating dinner and you see everyone else, they're like barely getting started and, and then you can go to bed, you know, you can see you guys in the morning or see you guys tomorrow so. <laughs> or you can stay up. I, I'm also guilty of staying up too long too. So if the conversation's rolling and maybe a fire is going, it's really hard to walk away. Moments in life you'll never forget.
1: Some of the best stories are told around the campfire.
0: They really are. And and there's a there's a lot of connection that happens whenever you're sitting there with people or you're standing there with people. I mean, you can you can touch on all of the topics and I know like listening to to prior podcasts from, from this channel, which I loved, I mean it it's true that through hikers we we're already doing that i mean you're already in a really tough situation or trying to do something that very few people really attempt uh and so it's easy to to jump from one subject of like hey how you doing how's your day where are you from to yeah something a lot deeper that may be even uncomfortable unless you're very close with someone that and you've only known that person for you know a day so i love i love that on trail uh, on the AT, we used to say, you know, I, I haven't known this person for very long because we look at time very differently on trail. You know, like a uh, trail in life is, is such a, a dichotomy because in life you would say like, oh, how long have you known so-and-so? And you'd say, oh, I've known them since college. I've known them for, you know, four, five, six, twenty 20 years. It's all time-based. But on trail, it's all mileage-based. So it's like, oh, yeah, I met so-and-so. Um, back in Silverton, so we've been best friends for the last 200 miles. You know what I mean? So it's all distance based versus time based, and being friends with someone through mileage is completely different. It's, I think it's more intimate than through time, or at least later. Awesome. Uh, just because you're going through the same stuff right then and there, and you're walking, so it's it's a fun way to to experience time differently. Whereas, uh, let's say let's say you you met someone. At the beginning of your trail, let's say you meet them on the AT, or, or let's say you meet someone on the PCT when you start, you'll know that person from start to finish potentially, but that's maybe max six to eight months, right? Mm-hmm. But you'll have hiked potentially together the whole way, maybe, um, and that's twenty six hundred miles, right? So what sounds more intimate? The twenty six hundred miles together, and you've seen all of all of the varying climates and changes um, and and um, in areas from southern california all the way to um, the canadian border for six months. like oh i've known him for 6 months or i've i've had a journey with this person in mileage. what sounds more?
1: Certainly i've had a journey.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of that's kind of the way i look at time now too. It's kind of changed the way i perceive it. And and now even with friends, you know, yeah, when i say oh we've known each other since college, but Yeah, we we went through college together. We were in classes together. We you know we were in a fraternity together. We traveled together. We see each other every other year. You know, there's something special to that other than just time. You know, it's the other aspect. I guess.
1: Well, I also feel like now that you mention it, you know, you're on this journey with. Uh, these other people, these other humans. And even if you don't necessarily see these people day in and day out, or you only hike a few miles here and there with them or something like that, because of the nature of the trail, there's a likelihood that they've probably seen you at your best and at your worst.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. I I completely agree with that too.
1: Which is not necessarily something that we, particularly on the worst side, it's not necessarily something that we show the world, even people that we've known for many years. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it's, it's very high stress too. I mean, not all the time, but I mean, you're, it's a lot of stress on the body. It's a lot of stress on the mind. And you know, there's, we're all going through so many emotions and thoughts, especially if you're not walking with someone day in and day out. Uh, you know, when you have just a few moments alone, your mind starts going and you start thinking about all these things, all these people you've met, all these things you've done. I mean, I feel like I had three or four different like emotional cleanses on uh, the Appalachian trail just like, things I needed to process. Like, um, my grandmother passing away and like not really knowing my father very well and how close I was to certain family. I mean, like certain things like that, those thoughts come up and, and there's nowhere to go. You know, you can't drown yourself in a distraction like you could if you were in town, you know? So sometimes people run up on you and you run into someone while you're in the middle of that whole emotional thing. And that's, yeah, sometimes that's the best time to run into someone too. And, and then you guys can talk about it. And then someone, you barely even know, and that was almost you know, one of the most intimate things about your life. And then, yeah. And you were able just to let it out and process with people. I mean, the trail is very, very magical in that way.
1: Did that surprise you?
0: It did. Yeah. I've always been a pretty open person. Uh, I'm not too shy about sharing uh, certain things in my life. But I think I've always been surprised in, in the fact that a lot of people have always been comfortable opening up to me and I really, I I really appreciate that. I I see it and it means a lot to me. So I try to, I'm not very, I'm not the best at advice, but I am really good at listening. And it was nice to feel that on the trail where, you know, I, I was hiking with a, with a gentleman that was very religious and I'm, um, uh, very faithful, but I don't know that I would say I'm religious anymore through, through time has changed that but he, you know, he wanted to pray with me and we prayed, you know, and that's his thing. So I was way open to that. And, and because of us doing that, I mean, I opened up to him a little bit about certain things and yeah, by the time our, you know, our trail friendship had kind of reached its peak and I was moving further along than he was, it was perfect timing because he had helped me, uh, just kind of like see my own power and see my own light. And, and yeah, like process some of the things that I didn't even think I was going to process or, about while i was on the trail but i did and yeah it was it was so so special like the trail it really shows the best and worst sides of people and in the end shows your best sides you're like your highest like vibratory lives i feel like you achieve while you're on trail or in maybe not in your whole life but you get to that point where you're just fully in the moment and you're fully experiencing everything and there's no other stress in the world there's no no worry about your car payments No worry about going to work tomorrow it's just it, the next worry is how much food do I have in my pack how long is it gonna last and and how much water do I have and where's the next water source <laughs> like it's very simple and I love that about drill
1: were you able to bring that off trail with you for a while yeah I think I think
0: uh, these days now, now after doing like that second through hike I've I've figured it out a little bit on that timeline of post-trail and I don't really get the post-trail depression some people do and and I totally I know it's a thing I believe in it um, I've always went from trail back to real life and having to knock out a bunch of different things uh, so I've been distracted essentially but I understand it and I try to live my life the way I do on trail but it's really hard because on trail I'm you know, I'm in that full encompassing moment. And, you know, when I, when I leave trail and I hit a town or I hit a, a road, I start hitchhiking and then I'm still at the whim of the universe. And then when I get to town and I get out of town, I'm still at the whim of the universe, like anything is possible in those moments where I still believe life is that way. Uh, but when you're back in society, there's so much structure. So it's, you know, I can't just like decide I'm going to run to town and be like, you know, what? I don't feel like driving today. I'm going to hitchhike <laughs> Like, that's not something you do. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's it's hard to keep those those things alive and living in those moments because we get into our routines in society when we get back, but it's mm-hmm. there you know i I try to make sure that I'm very open to ideas and I'm very open to experiences so i i I say no when I need to say no, but if there's an opportunity to go somewhere or do something i'm I'm pretty down usually unless I have something that I really have to get done. I will go have that experience because I have no idea what's going to happen on the other side of that experience. And that's the way I feel through hiking is every second of every day, you know, and it's all decisions. It's all, it's not, I guess it's not always all decisions, but you know, when a thunderstorm is looming in the background, you have a decision when you have enough food to go to the next town. That's a decision. Or do you want to go into town with the people you've been hiking with? That's a decision. You know, there's, there's a ton of decisions on and off trail, but the mentality I have coming off the trail, I try to keep that as as alive as possible um, because it's my best best version of me. It's when I'm happiest, when I'm living totally by the book of life and letting those experiences come in. Um, I try really hard. I think everyone tries really hard, but it's not easy. It's not easy to live in that mindset.
1: Which I think is why everybody is usually searching for the next trail. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And even
0: so... The Colorado trail was beautiful because a lot of the people I met, it was their first through hike. And it was really exciting to see that. Uh, Cause I, I don't feel like I see that anymore, especially because I'm not on trail all the time, but it was, it makes me smile because there they are they They have no idea what's going to happen next. They're you know, halfway through a quarter through at the third, you know, their last quarter of the, of the trail is coming up. Um, and you can see them. They're just like the gears are turning because they know that they want to do it again. And maybe they want to do a longer trail or, um, or maybe they want to do something completely different, but yeah, it's, it's always kind of, once you get the taste, you want that next trail because you feel how freeing it is. And, and I feel like you, it's your best self hundred percent. I mean, there's nothing better than walking every day and being in great physical health and eating whatever you want to eat and ma- meeting the purest, kindest people every day. I mean, that's, that's so special to meet people like that and then have essentially lifelong friends.
1: Do you feel a little bit like it's uh, our ancestors coming out?
0: Our ancestors just, coming out? Yeah,
1: just in terms of the, you know, the walking, the the camping, the, you know, small gatherings of people um, mm-hmm. yeah. sh- around yeah, the fire, that kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is more of a, of like a primal version of ourselves. Uh, and maybe that's why, why it's so easy to connect and why, why it feels so good is because it's,
1: it's hardwired in our DNA.
0: Exactly. It's like, it's in our, it's in our DNA for sure. Yeah. That could that could be a hundred percent of the reason why. Yeah. I mean, even this trail, even on like the Colorado trail, all the first time through hikers kept asking me, you know, what's my next trail. And I at the time, hadn't even thought about it. I was having so much fun just on the Colorado trail. Uh, but I knew that as much hiking as, as I love to do and, and having two trails now done I knew that I wanted to try like a a different discipline. Uh, So definitely I would love to eventually do like the continental divide trail one day perhaps, uh, but I'll probably do that on a bicycle. I'll probably bike pack that. And then, um, I was raised around horses, so I would probably attempt the PCT on horseback as well. Um, and then essentially if I did a triple crown, I would do it where the whole triple crown was something completely different then that then has been attempted before. And it would just be a triple crown of full on um, mastery of different disciplines and different um, <laughs> styles of travel. So that, that it feels a thought. little
1: bit like a, a triathlon, a triple crown triathlon type of thing.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Now, yeah, that, that would be, that would be the goal for me, but just to do it different. I'm kind of, I've always been like that, like just like a hair different than everyone else and want to do it a little different. Yeah. I think that'd be fun.
1: It's fun to challenge yourself in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. There's um, there's so many possibilities in the world of of long distance, and I, I think that's what's beautiful. Even though there's a there's a lot of people attempting trails these days, and it's very it's a very popular subject. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, there was there was brands and major retailers that weren't even looking at through hikers as potential. Um, you know, clients, and now those major brands are starting to see that that's who they are. There, that's a huge part of their market, and that's who is coming in every season, preparing is for some form of long distance, uh, and that's that's really beautiful to see because, you know, I I don't know that everyone needs a dose of wilderness in that capacity, but but having that dose is so life changing for the good. I don't know anyone who's ever left a long distance trail and and not felt like they could accomplish any of their dreams or anything they wanted to do.
1: Well, I feel like particularly when you complete and even just do for any length of time a long trail, the things you find out about yourself, the way that you face fear, the way that you face frustration, um, you know, the way that you'd face the monotony of it mm-hmm. has to change you, has to mark you in some way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's nice to uh, to see that kind of that side of yourself as well. Uh, not only from, from seeing like what you do in those high stress situations, but um, how you how you cope with it afterwards. Uh, so like, for me, as much as I love long distance, I will get off trail as fast as the storms coming in sometimes just because I know there's pizza and beer in town, you know, like, I'm okay with that. I I can live with that and I can stay in town for a couple of days to avoid really heavy storms uh, because I've been through heavy storms before (laughs) and it's really just not worth it. Like when I could hang out, um, like I got, I got off trail, uh, in, in Salida, Colorado, the day before, um, thunderstorms are on the forecast for a week. And I knew a lot of people that were coming in that night and I met up, I met so many through hikers, Uh, It's the most I'd seen on trail at this hostel and, you know, all these guys, the great guys and gals, I had such a good time. We had like a group family dinner. It was just, it was really special, you know, and made a lot of connections and they were all headed out the next day. And I was so shell shocked from my last couple of thunderstorms being caught at altitude uh, that I knew I was going to stay at least another day in town. And they were all trying to get me to come with them. That way we could kind of sit together as a group. And I, uh, I knew, I knew I wasn't going, and and so I stayed in Salida. <laughs> I stayed in Salida, Colorado, and saw, you know, I stayed there for, I think, yeah, five days. I saw five different nights of different groups of thru-hikers come through, whether they were going southbound or northbound, and I was going southbound, and every day it was kind of like, man, I could get on trail like they're getting on trail, but I could see the forecast. I'd been watching it all day, and the last thing I wanted to do was go out on trail because of a little bit of peer pressure, and then get stuck in a situation where I'm afraid that I'm going to die on this mountain. And you know, the crazy thing is there's no place to hide from lightning and, and there's no great advice for lightning. But the thing that kills people the most uh, from a lightning strike, from my understanding is, is being struck and then not having anyone around to help resuscitate you. So Mm. essentially like the cardiac arrest is what kills you. Right. And that's like, I'm alone most of the time. So it's just, it's not a risk I want to take, especially at this point in my life. So I stayed in Salida for five days and on the fifth day uh, or by five days, I had made friends with all the coffee shop owners. I had helped um, rearrange and retail a uh, really cool uh, imported goods uh, shop. I had made really good friends with the owner there. And then across the street, one of the shop owners was a painter and I showed him one of my photos from uh, from Montreal and he loved it so much. He asked if he could, um, use it as inspiration for a, a painting or a drawing competition he was doing. Uh, so I gave him that. I, uh, I joined a yoga club. I was, a, I was on a yoga <laughs> membership there. Uh, I was totally a local. I loved it there. It was very cool. Uh, and a lot of the guys later were asking, they, they're, they're happy to hear I got on trail. They thought I was going to stay They They thought, they thought I was getting off trail. And I just, I was just trying to avoid some, some thunderstorms, you know, and, and I'm okay with that. Like at this point. You know, and I had that option too at the time. A lot of people don't always have the option to uh, get off trail and stay in town for that long, or um, or they're on a the time crunch. And I was able to manipulate my my time plans uh, to where they worked out where I could do that. So that was nice. Otherwise, the pressure of getting back to like a flight, or the pressure of getting a getting a ride, uh, can be the reason or the difference between you being stuck in that thunderstorm or not. So true. Yeah, it's nice to. I have to be flexible, essentially.
1: Now, were you hiking? You started the trail, the Colorado Trail, trail with Prodigy, and you said KP. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Were you actually hiking with them as you once you started? Well, that was that was the plan. <laughs> um,
0: so I think it was, I think it was end. Of, I think it was July thirty first, and and Prodigy had some friends that were in the area that needed a lift. Um, they were, they were doing some section hiking and they need to lift back the trail. He was asking around for people he knew in the area. Uh, so I I jumped on board and I called up his friends and gave him a ride to back the trail and they were great people. And, and in that time, I had also gotten to be on the phone with him for a second and and prodigy and I met way back, uh, in the day, whenever he first did the, the Pacific crest trail, um, which I think was 2016. Um, and he got to talking to me and he was like, yeah, I think KP and I are going to do the Colorado trail in August. And I said, well, when in August, they're like, Oh, we're still trying to debate dates. I said, I looked at my like calendar and was totally free at the time. Uh, so I think we decided I looked at flights and I said, all right, well, August 18th, I can fly into Denver for, you know, uh, less than a hundred dollars or something like that. Uh, and we can start that day if you want. He was like, great. The only thing is I have to be back. And I think he had to be in like Montana or something uh, for a wilderness uh first responder training recertification. So we had to do the trail in also 18 days, which was crazy. So we were going to do the whole Colorado trail, the three of us in 18 days. And I think that looked at, it was right around 30 mile days every day. And I definitely wasn't in shape. I don't think any of us were really, truly in (laughs) shape for that. But that was the plan. And, you know, we all said yes to it. So, yeah, 18 days later, there I was at the airport getting picked up by KP, who I had never met. We just basically became friends through Instagram, which is the beauty of technology. And, yeah, you know, he picked me up. We became friends that afternoon because of all the things we had to talk about. And we hit the trail all together. And we spent, uh, we started hiking that day. And we didn't get very far. (laughs) We started, like, in the afternoon. It might've been like one or two in the afternoon when we actually hit the trail. Um, and I think we made it like maybe 10 or 12 miles and prodigy had actually gotten ahead of us and he kept walking because we had planned to go further. Uh, but KP was feeling really sick. I think he, he ended up diagnosing uh, that he had some kind of heat exhaustion. So that night we stopped early and right about the time we stopped, he, and, you know, started throwing up and he was really low on fluids in his body. And we were trying to get him to eat and drink some, drink some fluids and get some salts back up and it wasn't a great situation. So uh, basically the next day we, uh, we hiked all day again, but as soon as we could get into town, we went into a small town in Colorado and, and stayed uh, to let him get better a little bit. The prodigy was on a, on a time crunch. So he took off. Um, so we hiked together for the first like two days and then he had to go, which, uh, which was, it was like bittersweet. It was like, oh man, like we definitely wanted to do some miles together, but you know, people have people have the plans, so it was really cool. But it was really special to to have them bring at least KP and I together, and for all of us to get out together for the first time like that.
1: The community is amazingly small.
0: It really is. It really, and it's and it's really cool because uh, you really don't have to know anyone specific. I mean, if you if you have a friend vouch for a friend, I mean, your best friend, and that's it. And especially with, with the background of having, being a through hiker, I mean, and having a completed trail under your belt, I mean, people can look at that and go, oh shoot, like you and I have been through the same things, you know, maybe less rain and, and maybe in a slower time crunch and, <laughs> and maybe you, uh, maybe you ate less spam than I did, but we've all been through the same thing. Uh, and that's really special. Uh, I think I see that, I mean, I'm not, I don't have any military, um, uh, background i have no, I'm never served in the service but i see that with military services my family's military but uh, you know the moment that you find out someone else is military or, or a different branch or anything like there's a whole bond and community and and brotherhood and culture that exists there or, or sisterhood and it's because yeah everyone's essentially been through the same thing together and that's really it's beautiful it's like one of the few things I've seen in life that's just like, oh, like yes, you, like we <laughs> can connect on something. So what ended up starting out as an 18 day uh, potential thru hike on the on the Colorado Trail ended up for me turning into like 37 days.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it was it was fun. I really, you know, I looked at it. I was kind of uh, at the end. I was working in cannabis at the time and uh, had done a uh, adventure project where. Sales crew I was working with uh, our whole team and supervisors decided we would uh, work with a, an investment team and try to launch our own brand. And in the process of all that, uh, due to um, the way that whole like business about legal- legality works and trying to source the product, uh, essentially the sales team was able to take the summer off. So with that granted time off, I looked at that. That's why I said I can do the, the Colorado Trail. Um, I knew that was probably the last time like real really the last time for a good while that I would probably have that much time on my hands to be able to do one more trail at least um and it was already into July so was, I was looking at it going well what do my finances look like and how far can I go and I knew I wanted to knock out a smaller trail um because even on those 500 mile sections I mean you can still get everything you wanted out of a long distance you know a major one of the big three, uh, trails in that short amount of time. And so in that month, essentially I had all of the same feelings, all of the same experiences met uh, in, in a shorter condensed time. So it was beautiful, but I did the math and it's funny because, uh, you know, I, when I broke it down day-wise, I know 37 days sounds like a really long time to spend on, on the Colorado trail considering, uh, I think I did the AT in just at 150 days with a solid 30 days of, like, zeros. So um, that's, like, kind of the math there. But I think on the Colorado Trail, I took, for sure, 10 zeros, and I took 10 Nero days as well. And then the rest, the 17 days after that was actual days hiking where I wasn't zeroing or narrowing into any town for any specific reason. So kind of a strange thought. When I looked at it, I was kind of laughing. Like, I don't know if I can really break up the Nero day uh, from the actual days hike but it looks funnier that way for me and and at the end of the day it's all it's all supposed to be good times you know so 17 full days of hiking and the other 10 on top of that were totally just me hiking big miles to get to town and and have a beer with good friends and pizza and and you know hydrate and get resupplies and you know all the important stuff
1: you'll do all the the work tasks but also the the fun tasks
0: yeah, absolutely. That's that's the biggest one. Is, is as soon as you get into town, you're you're brainstorming. You're going, which hospital am I going to stay in, or where am I going to stay and get done with all of these tasks, and then maybe even get on trail again. And where am I going to resupply? And yeah, who has the best price on pizza <laughs> or food? <laughs> like, where is the most calorie dense uh, food option for the best price? I'm into it.
1: I would assume that on trail people are. Talking about that, like as tra- as uh, town day gets closer and closer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say like a little bit, but it's also like uh, like talking to, uh, <laughs> it's like talking to like uh, like if you're babysitting someone's kids and you're like, you guys want to go like to the candy store and they just like glaze over in their eyes and, and then you lose all contact with them. They're just like completely on this like other planet. It's kind of the same way with through hikers where is the moment we start talking about town and daydreaming about food it's like a glazed over happens and I feel like we never get anywhere we just <laughs> leave it at that we're just like okay like where are we gonna where are we gonna stay I don't know who has beer and then it's just like glazed over it's just like oh my god the beer like oh my gosh the burgers at this place you know and it's always it's talked about but I, I never have a good plan I'm, I'm very much so um I, I kind of wing it and experience it as it happens I've never at least hiked with uh Enough planners to, to have them know, like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to this place. Somebody recommends it. And maybe from Gut Hooks, we'll look at the app and see what other through hikers are saying and, and saying, oh yeah, that's the place, you know, or that they offer the best price. So. But really bad at planning. I even, I think I downloaded Gut Hooks the day before we got on trail for the Colorado Trail. <laughs> 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 I'm really not a great example of, of planning. <laughs> um and i think even then we were still talking about like when prodigy and kp and i were in our group message we were kind of asking each other okay how many miles are we going to go before we try to resupply and you know it was kind of just been up in the air i think it was anywhere between 30 to like 60 before we were thinking of resupplying so i just grabbed a couple days worth of food and looked down at my legs i'd been cycling all summer and was like you got this you you can do this (laughs) but you know I don't know. Are you? Did you plan out all, all the details of, of your uh, your drops on on the PCT?
1: Oh hell no! <laughs> all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have sort of got the first two weeks ish, ten days ish, uh, but after that, after that, I'm sort of going to do what seems to be working that i discover once i get on the trail.
0: Mhm. Absolutely. I agree because,
1: with that. Because yeah, having never done it before, you know, i i honestly i don't know what food will taste good, you know, day after day and how much food am i really going to consume and oh yeah. Um, you know, how many miles can i realistically do? I'm i'm making an assumption about what my body is going to be up for particularly at the beginning, but i don't know. So
0: that's a great way to look at it. I, I, even, so like the AT, uh, I had tried to plan food drops and got a couple in and made a couple happen. But by the time I was getting to those food drops, I, it was completely off of what I was trying to eat and what my body really wanted and was digesting. So I'm, I'm glad you have it from that perspective. Cause at one point shipping food from Texas all the way to the East coast was also more expensive than it was just to pick it up at a convenience store. If you can, if you can afford it or can do it, that it definitely helps, but it also helps to, you know, not have to even think twice about what's in the box. It's like your box is already ready to go. You know exactly what you're going to eat. You didn't have to spend an extra, I don't know, 30 minutes planning out, you know, your week's worth of food mm-hmm. and, and figuring out what you're wanting. So there's like, there's definitely a plus and minus each side of that equation. Uh, and then I've also, so Raji got off trail uh, after a little while and I was going into Lake city, Colorado. And by the time I was going into there, he said, Hey man, I left the package there. If you want it, it's yours. I'll call the hostel owner and, uh, and you know, heavy trail magic. And I was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Thanks for the resupply box prodigy. And I get this box and you know, it's, it's a regular size resupply box, but it was heavy and I could not figure out what was in it. I mean, I was kind of like, you know, Christmas surprising it. Like, Oh, what could it be? And I blessed open this box. Right. And at this point in time, I've eaten so much peanut butter in my life. Like I almost couldn't eat peanut butter after the AP because I ate so much of it. And even to this day, I don't really eat a ton of peanut butter because (laughs) I've overdone it for sure. And I bust open this box and, and it is all peanut butter. (laughs) It's like peanut butter, chocolate, this peanut butter, crayon, this like, it's just like peanut butter, everything and, and they're all pro bars and, and they're all like these really dense calorie bars. And I was cracking up because I was like, this is really amazing. I'm very thankful for this. But I was also like, wow, Prodigy really likes peanut butter still. <laughs> and and at one point, I mean, I, I got what I could out of it. And then I was uh, giving it to the rest of the uh, thru hikers around me and was like, hey, guys, check this out. Like this is from the Prodigy, like help yourselves to whatever you can carry. And I ended up, I thought I was going to resupply at least like one or two more times um, on that into the trail. And I did get like a couple of little things here and there, but I basically lived the rest of the trail from Lake city, Colorado to Durango on those power bars and pro bars. Uh, cause they're dead. And, and it was so heavy. I was like, I shouldn't have brought all these bars. <laughs> but I, I loved that. That was his thing. And I even, I, I still, I still reach out to him about that. I'm like, you remember all those
1: peanut butter bars? brother? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I could totally see you uh, reaching out and going, peanut butter really <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what i did and even i joked because after of course right after i got off trail um i still had a couple peanut butter bars left for like three <laughs> weeks so i would send in pictures and be like hey check out this resupply it's still last to me and then uh my mom had never had a pro bar for one and and <laughs> and we she picked me up at, in durango and we kind of did this big like road trip together afterwards and basically saw the whole western u.s together uh, and my mom was like, "Oh, I've never heard of a pro bar." I said, "Oh, I'll check this one out, mom!" And I hand her. I have this like little grin on my face. I'm like, "You're gonna like this one." I hand her like this peanut butter chocolate one, and you can see like my mom's ears turning and she's biting into it, going like, "Hmm, hmm, hm and she can't tell if she likes it or not. And she finally like finishes that first bite. She was like, "Wow, that was uh, that was dense." And I was like, "Yep, it was." Right. <laughs> and I, my mom couldn't even finish the pro bar, and and even a couple bites. So I was. I was loving that. Nothing against Pro Bar. Love Pro Bar. They're dense, you yeah. know. Just the peanut butter ones—they stick with you for sure.
1: Well, it's funny to me, actually. Pro Bar is one of the the bars that I've picked up, but it's so interesting to me because Pro Bars are one of the few bars for me, personally, at least, that feel a little bit more like real food. Oh yeah. Versus the processed stuff.
0: Right, with their ingredients, they do feel yeah. they feel they feel. You see the ingredients still. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I completely agree. And you really can't beat the calorie density of it. And even at one point in time, I worked at a scout camp called Philmont Scout Ranch. And at the end of the summer, they had all the the number one thing that the Boy Scouts and the the backpacking parents were throwing into the hiker boxes on camp were pro bars, and I couldn't figure it out. And I was living out of my car at the time. So at the end of camp, I had been like, I had been like basically storing all these Pro Bars. I had a full box of Pro Bars that basically I lived off of for the rest of those couple months. And at the end of that, that's part of the reason why I'm kind of like, I laugh about Pro Bar because we've all been there to a certain point, but I've, I've definitely overdone it. I've been a, a Pro Bar-aholic before. And, and at this point I just have to sometimes just say no, you know,
1: <laughs> sometimes you have to step away from the Pro Bar.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I'm always thankful for the food, and and it's great because a lot of those smaller towns, sometimes, I mean, that they don't have a lot to offer. Um, yeah. So it's nice to it's nice to have a little bit of extra supply. I always try to it's I'll teach a couple of classes at REI of, of long distance hiking, and I always kind of just try to put it out there that it's it's good to have a day, maybe a day and a half worth of extra food uh, that you can at least ration out uh, mm-hmm. in case like you get to a town. You don't want to, you don't want to get to a town on your last, on your last chip, basically. Some people do. I don't. Some people do. Because anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. And I like to at least show up with like one day's worth of food. That way, in case some something happens, because if you suffer an injury or if you, um, or even if you get held back by a lightning storm, you know, I mean, that can throw off your whole day or throw off a couple miles. So if you weren't planning for that, that can be like a really tough situation and a really uh, like a wake-up call that could be huge you know to, yeah. to look at yourself and go man i didn't plan well enough for this so i always recommend having just a little bit there so having a little couple extra bars in your pack when you get to town as much as you're you'll be beating yourself up like why did i carry those for the last 40 miles at least you know you wouldn't have been hungry and it's also cool because i've i've also given out some <laughs> pro bars Uh, when I've had friends miss playing a little bit and be like kind of on their last dash and mean I'll be like, Hey, here you go. Like no big deal. I have plenty. I'm still working on the one from yesterday. (laughs) So yeah. And that's part of the reason why I like the whole, for me, the ramen thing, like the ramen tuna is, I'll do double ramen every night, but let's say, you know, let's say I get stuck in a position where I didn't make it as far as I need to. Well, at least I can split that double ramen and have one ramen one night, one ramen the next night. And worst case, I can split the double ramen into like, quad ramen and half, <laughs> like a break break one each in half and half, and really you know make it through it will be tough but at least that's the way I look at that whereas like a, a mountain house meal you can't really unless unless you have a pod as well that you're cooking it in or something I mean you can't really ration it that well um, and split it up quite the same essentially with the same like um, comforting feeling whereas like you know hot noodles they're always comforting or cold noodles whatever you decide to do. You
1: know? However you roll.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's all worth the experiment. I mean, it's, it's worth the try. It's, it's the same thing with like cutting the, the toothbrush in half. It's, it's worth the try. You know, I even, I got rid of my, I had the Deuce of Spades for a while and loved it. Probably turned everyone on at, like at REI to the Deuce of Spades because uh, all my, all my coworkers were like, what's a Deuce of Spades? Was, you don't know what a Deuce of Spades is? It's only the lightest trowel in the world that you can <laughs> Poop anywhere with. <laughs> and uh, and then now I don't even use mine. Now I just use like uh, a tent stake or like my trekking pole and I'll like dig it in the ground and like, you know, kind of dig out my little hole and, and make it work, you know, in the appropriate areas. Interesting. So
1: it's all Is experiment. that your ultra light version
0: or? Kind of, but I don't know if it's necessary. But, you know, I'm already carrying the tent stakes and I'm already carrying the trekking poles. Uh, I don't, I, at one point I decided I didn't really need the trowel. Uh, because that was just an extra like 0. 0.6 ounces or something like that. Not that I'm a huge ounce counter either, but I just decided I'd, I would try it without. I kind of, I kind of winged that option uh, and it worked out, it worked out fine.
1: It's always fun in these situations to, to try things out. I wonder if to play the wonder game or if game, yeah. what if I'm into it. Do it. When you first stepped on the AT, as you kind of mentioned earlier, you know you'd not really ever seen snow before, and you stepped on the a t and you got snowed on you got snowed on good yeah how did you deal with that? How did you uh, evolve to keeping warm and as dry as possible and keeping your stuff dry and
0: yeah that was a uh, that was that was a really rough situation that was a uh, so i at that point I had had a lot of experience. Um, guiding in, in the backcountry of West Texas on horseback and had never run into a situation like this but I went into the Smokies uh, with a gal named voodoo and we did 17 miles into the Smokies It's basically straight uphill um, from like uh, from from that start from that starting point when you know you're going into the Smokies and it rained the whole time and I, we weren't expecting that for one the forecast didn't show rain but we went in and there's three different shelters. And the hard part about the Smokies were that uh, if you were a day hiker and you had, you have to have a permit to hike in the Smokies, if you're a day hiker with a permit, you basically got um, first pick at the, uh, at the shelters. And because it was raining all day and because it was all, the temperature was also dropping. This is early March um, or it's like end of March at this point. By the time we got to the first shelter, it was completely packed. It was, I mean, from floor to ceiling, there were day hikers and some through hikers who made it early enough, but most, I would say mostly day hikers or weekend adventurers. Uh, and there was a, there was a Ridge runner and then there was a little fire going. basically. So we got to that first shelter and we looked at the map and I was like, okay, they're, they're full. We're already wet, soaking wet. We might as well just hike uh, a couple more miles to the next shelter. So we go to the next shelter. It's completely full, packed. To the max. And we thought, we kind of looked at each other and thought, okay, well, there's one more shelter. I think it was only like, it was under three miles to get there and it was still getting colder and, and getting wetter. And we're kind of looking at each other and we asked, could we make it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we get to the last shelter thinking no way it's going to be packed. It was so jam packed. I'd never seen that many. And at this point we kind of walked in and and asked if there was any room because we couldn't go any further to so the next shelter it was too far away and it was kind of the shelters were the driest places at this point and it was getting so cold and when when i asked if they had any room it was it was dead quiet i've never heard a room so quiet and there's probably like you know 20 30 people in there um and i at least asked if they had room for her um and still it's dead quiet so you know we looked we looked at each other we went outside we instantly changed, uh, under like the small little pavilion. And, uh, and then we went and set up our tents and I've never been that cold. So at this point we like got in our tents and we basically said, all right, well, like let's, let's get dry, let's get warm. And then maybe we can like get together and like make dinner together. Uh, Cause we've kind of been through a lot at this point together. And I got into the tent and as soon as I got in my sleeping bag, I was shivering. I was so cold. I, I couldn't get warm. Uh, and I put on all my base layers, done everything I could. I was wearing like multiple socks and had my jackets in the tent with me that were still dry. Uh, and then by the time I started getting warm, just like a hair warm, I heard like uh, some sleet on the tent. And I had this like little one-person tent. And I see the sleet. I like kind of pull my like uh, my little mesh down so I could see outside of the tent. And it's just sleeting. And I thought, oh, okay, it's sleeting. It must be really cold. And I passed out. And by the time I woke up, it was snowing. And I, and I thought it was so beautiful, but I thought I haven't eaten anything yet. So I got out, went and made some food, and then went back to sleep. Uh, and by the time I woke up in the morning, the way the tent was set up was the zipper basically came from the very base, uh, base of the ground and then came all the way up to the top. So by the time I woke up, I had to have voodoo dig me out because I couldn't, the snow was so heavy that I could not reach the bottom of my tent and undo the zipper. So when we'd woken up that morning, she'd like come over and like help Help move it out, but I mean, we were in a solid like two two and a half feet of snow, and I had never experienced that. Yeah, and at that point, it's like the whole terrain looks different. It's it's no longer just like sticks and sticks and brush, and I tried to put on my shoes and my fruit. My shoes were frozen solid, and so was my rain jacket and and um and a couple of the other pieces of gear I'd like kind of left outside. and didn't even think about bringing in the tenants. And I had no idea. I'd never snow camped. So I didn't know to expect that. That was even possible. So I spent, I zeroed that day at that shelter. And most of the people who were in it left. But I spent the rest of that day in the shelter. And uh, she stayed for a little while too. But then she she took off because her gear was good. And I stayed by the fire most of the day drying out my gear. And then at a certain point, after like trying to collect wood and, and, and different items to burn in that little fireplace. I mean, I had wasted a whole day just trying to thaw off, essentially. But it was, it was such a wild experience because even then when I went down to the water source that day, I, while I was coming up water, this guy asked me if I was real. Like he kind of came stumbling out of the woods and he had like, he had his, his camo gear on. He was definitely a hunter and he was like, are you real? And I looked at him and I said, I think so. Are you real? And, uh, and he was like, Yeah. Where am I? And, and I said, Oh, you're in the Smokies. And I told him, like, the location he was at. And he goes, Do you have any idea where, like, that is in relation to this place? And I said, No, but if you have a mask, we can check it out. But he was, he was getting to the point where he was uh, hypothermic. And, and so, like, I got him up to the shelter, had him get warm and had him eat some food and everything. But this guy was, he was not not in a good place and he'd been essentially stumbling for that day and maybe even that evening trying to figure out how to get back to his campsite because he got lost in the snow essentially so got him back to his good health gave him some pro bars legit and uh (laughs) and got to talking with him but it was it was kind of a a surreal experience because i really couldn't leave that day it was there was so much snow and my my, i could have left i guess but i would have just been putting myself in a really dangerous position too with my shoes being that wet, my clothes, most of my clothes being that wet. Um, and then I'm also thankful that I, you know, I was there because of that guy. Cause I don't know if he would have ever even known that above the hill was a shelter. He would have just seen this water source, but who knows what could happen to that guy. Um, and, and not that like, I don't take it. I don't know. It's kind of like a right place, right time kind of thing.
1: Um, yeah.
0: yeah, that was, that was my first experience with snow. And then after that, I just, I realized how underprepared I was that and that was something that i thought i thought about even think about still even like now and think i mean there's a lot of things i am really good at winging it and making it through but that's something that a lot of through hikers today shouldn't be guessing with like sierras and everything like that's part of the reason why i haven't done the tct is because i really don't want to deal with like learning any alpine techniques right now like the big mountains and snow terrify me um, but yeah, that's there's so much I could have learned. And, and the what if game on that is, yeah, what if I hadn't had any prior training uh, in my life or had any experience like backpacking or any experience, um, you know, guiding or with, or with scouts or anything? I mean, I could have been in a really dangerous situation, ultimately.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, I guess if you had been on a trail that didn't have shelters, it could have also been a, a different situation as well.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, and so like, let's say if the shelter wasn't there, if the shelter wasn't there. I would have had no choice. We would have just kept hiking. That would have been the thing is just to get warm. And even now, I mean, when like I've woken up in the middle of the night before that cold where I'm shivering and it's, you know, one 30 in the morning and I've been asleep for a couple hours, but I've had to just slam calories just to get warm. And if that doesn't work, then um, at that point, if, if you're eating and your body's engines really not turning on, I mean, that's when you have to get up, you have to leave. Like that's when, uh, if you, if you really can't keep going, or at least it's not always the answer to leave, but if you can't get warm, the only answer that I've, I've felt works for me is just getting up and walking. And cause then I, I instantly get warm from that. Um, but yeah. it's, it's crazy how, how dangerous a situation can turn.
1: How did that change how you, cause now you were going to be hiking in snow. There was probably, I believe that there was more snow that fell on you as well you know going through the smokies how did that change how you approached that
0: yeah it changed it changed the way i looked at i looked at uh, my essentials you know because at this point i hadn't i guess it hadn't really clicked that i was really by myself you know that i was, uh, was on my own looking after myself like it had all been like it'd been rainy and sunshine and days and kind of feeling but at that point that was when it got serious and and in those moments where i'm trying to figure out how to stay warm it really, it really changed the way I looked at, at my gear. Uh, especially like even now I would, you know, take those wet shoes and I'd at least, I'd at least somehow put them in like a bag or like, uh, even like my backpack and throw that at the base of my sleeping bag, just to try to keep them from, um, from, uh, actually freezing over. Um, same thing with those jackets. I try to like, at least bring them into the sleeping bag and put them at the base of it, maybe in another bag as well. That way I don't get wet from it, but trying to maintain that gear to the best I can because that's, that's kind of my lifeline. Uh, and even, even then I had no idea that you had to sleep with your water filter so it wouldn't freeze uh, and potentially like expand and crack. And then you could let through um, all kinds of harmful pathogens. You know, I had no idea then. And now, now when it gets just at freezing, I'm like throwing my, my water filter <laughs> in the bag with me and keeping it warm. I mean, it completely changed the way I looked at hiking. And even on the Colorado trail, I almost, um, I was, I was, I was so close to bringing my bedrock sandals and that was it. Cause I, I pretty much live in those. Um, and I almost dropped those and I'm really glad I didn't. Um, not because I couldn't have done it on them, but because it was, there was some days where it was just starting to get so cold towards the end that it would have been a nightmare trying to keep my feet warm and even like putting socks on and then sitting in sandals. I mean, for me, I, my body temperature is warm when I hike. And then as soon as I'm done hiking, um, I get I'm I'm kind of a small guy I get pretty cold easily so I'm most of the time I'm I have a jacket near me uh, so yeah it's definitely the adaptation to that like now I that's why I don't have a problem like or why I haven't made a huge move to down quilts yet because I'm still pretty happy with like the full sleeping bag because <laughs> I, I can get really cold at night
1: so. yeah you see the benefits
0: yeah, there's a lot of benefits and there's a lot of, ex- I still experiment almost on every backpacking trip or every hike I take. I'm still playing with gear and options. And even, uh, normally now I, I usually hike with, uh, at least, uh, Under Armour, um, leggings. I uh, like the, the cold gear leggings or mm-hmm. I'll use, uh, like my, uh, smart wool leggings, the 250 uh, when I go backpacking because I like to sleep warm and cozy. And then I'll do a warm top as well. And that's usually like an Under Armour cold gear for me. Uh, But on the Colorado trail, I was trying to say, wait, so I went all silk. So I had like silk leggings and a silk shirt. And I think by like week two, they fell apart. So the rest of the trip, I was like trying to like keep my, my clothes on, but they had fallen apart probably because I was like throwing them in washes and and drying them, you know, instead of letting them air dry, I would just like dry them in the dryer. And that probably Uh deteriorated them a little faster than, than it would have happened if I had done it at home on my own. Uh, but there's one night in particular, it was like the second to last night on trail, um, where I got a, I got a melanzama, uh, like hoodie. You know, I had to mm-hmm. when I was in Leadville. It's awesome. I love gotta. it. Um, yeah, it's totally a thing. I had no idea either. Like it was until we were in like maybe a day or two out of Leadville that that was a thing. I was like, what? No way. So that actually I, I told melanzama, I wrote him a little like thing and said like, Hey, you're, uh, your hoodie saved my life one night. I was so cold when I was talking about waking up and, and eating. I mean, I slammed the tortilla. I started chewing on a pro bar. It was so cold though that the pro bar was like ice cold. Like it was rock solid. So I was like basically like gnawing on it like a, like a, like an infant and, and then also cooking ramen at the same time and just trying to put in as much calories in my body as I could. And my like leggings were falling apart because they were silk. So I took the, I took the hoodie off. I took that non-zarma hoodie off and threw it over my legs and put one leg through one arm and one leg through the other and pulled (laughs) it up to my waist and had my like puffy jacket on uh for my core temperature and and just kind of and was working with it and the reason why i was really cold is because my my sleeping pad got a hole in it and so i was on the ground like that was that was also the other issue it was like the last two nights legitimately my pad got a hole in it and i i carried like a patch kit and i will never carry a patch kit again probably but i will carry like a little thing of super glue Cause that could have, that could have stopped the leak instantly. Whereas the pouch kit needs time to dry and it needs time to essentially like cure. Uh, and when it's, you know, 30 degrees outside, it's not going to cure very fast. Uh, if you went through the proper procedure of like using like an alcohol wipe and wiping the area down and kind of trying to let that dry and then applying the actual, um, the sealants, like those sealants do need time to cure. So now I would carry, uh, just like a little tube of of super glue because that stuff, doesn't need very long to to cure and if you can find and locate that leak then you're good to go so yeah but i didn't at the time so that that hoodies definitely i mean it 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 was crazy because as soon as i had eaten all the calories i was able to just like crawl back in my sleeping bag and pass out and it was a very uncomfortable night on the ground but i slept and that was was important
1: i think that that's the that's the fun part about among other fun parts i'm sure but that's the fun part is is a little bit of the gear and the changing technologies and the evolving systems that people use personally you know as they play with different things
0: absolutely and and the fun part is really how you adapt to it you know how do you how do you, you utilize what you have in your backpack to it's it's best capabilities whether or not it's yeah. intended use for that like i mean i know that no one's on the hoodie was not intended to go over my legs um and, and it's crazy because it didn't stretch out uh, which is awesome you know or at least it shrank back when i tried it but yeah that's something that's really exciting is to to really let that like see how you can adapt to a situation under pressure under stress and then yeah come out on the other side and and look at it and go okay this is what i definitely would have done differently and then be able to laugh at it because because yeah now now it's it's a story, you know. Exactly. Same thing with the smokies.
1: <laughs> and speaking of stories, I have a question for you. Sure. Which is, uh, what did you do for a Klondike bar?
0: What did I do for a Klondike bar?
1: Yeah. Oh my on the AT. Gosh. Oh,
0: what did I do? Oh man, wow, you did some some research. Dang! <laughs> what did I do? Oh my gosh. I have I have a very terrible memory. Um uh, what did I do? Do you remember, Do you know? Did I say what I did?
1: You didn't say what you did, which is why I'm asking the question.
0: Oh my gosh. What would I do? What would I do now? I guess I, I would ask myself that. What would I do now? I man, what? There's a couple of things. I, there's a lot of things I won't maybe not do. I'll tell you what I wouldn't do for a Klambeck bar. I'm, I'm not a big like uh like a uh, condiments person, like mustard, mayonnaise, ketchup, mm-hmm. not me, but. But for a Klondike bar, I would, I would, <laughs> I would might. eat a medley of those. Yeah, I would add them to whatever was was on the steak because I love Klondike bars. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. I didn't even think about that. What did I do? I'll I'll get back to you on that. How about that? I'll get back to you. Perfect. And if I can figure out what it was,
1: I I would love to know what what you did for a Klondike bar. Oh oh okay, here it is.
0: I know what was going on then I was somewhere. Um, and I was having a really low day cause I think I was eating that Klondike bar on a curb and, uh, and I had like a really awful day. I don't know what it was. Maybe like the emotions are running high. Um, and it just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere uh, very fast, uh, which is kind of a, a common feeling. I feel like every time I'm on trail, cause I'm a super slow hiker, uh, or I'm slow compared to a lot of other people, but I'll get there. You know, I'm very determined. Um, and I think that day I was just sitting on that curb, contemplating, thinking about what I was going to do. I think I was passing through that little town area, getting back on the trail, but I just needed a break. I needed to be like off trail for just a second. And and then this this teacher came out, and she was working at that school. Cause I was basically on a cool on the side curb of a school, and school was out out of class or for session. Um, and she was, I guess, moving. Maybe she was moving her classrooms around. And she was like moving from one to the other side of the campus. And she came across me and she goes, what are you doing on the curb? Are you okay? And I, w- I guess I was looking pretty low. I was like, yeah, I just, I just needed a break. I'm trying to clear my head. I'm doing the Appalachian Trail. And she was like, oh, geez, like that's crazy, blah, blah, blah. Like what's going on? And I, I couldn't tell you what I told her what was going on, but I told her I kind of just needed a, a moment to, to relax and not walk, basically. She was like, whoa, do you like ice cream? And I was like, yeah, I like ice cream. Uh, so that's when she had like this, I guess, fridge or like cooler of ice cream bars that she would give to her students and stuff. And, and that same situation where they're just like having a bad day or maybe they did something good. And so that's what she, she gave me that Klondike bar from my remembrance from, from that memory. And it was, it really did. It was like this little bitty amount of trail magic that like helped me push the next, you know, couple miles. And that's really, that's the beauty behind the trail magic is, is you don't, really know the impact it has on someone but for someone it could be like it could be everything you know for me like I, that happened to me a couple times where it was just it was that little boost of of just kindness or just like something nice like not even comfort food but just just enough kindness from someone else to be like okay it's not that bad like i can do this i think that's what happened i think that's what happened with the clone bar
1: when you said she was moving her classroom or something, I I was thinking maybe you uh, helped her move her classroom and she gave you a Klondike bar or something.
0: I might have. I I really I can't remember that far. I, I don't. I know I was offered, um, but I definitely I definitely was on that curb and I was definitely in my feelings. <laughs> uh, but I think she was almost done. I think that's the other thing. She was ah. she was like almost done. Just kind of moving some little things around because if she was truly moving the classroom around, I think she would have had more help. Um, probably, at least I would have asked her more help if i was doing that (laughs) yeah and and you know like those little like it was so sweet of her to do that and there's like little little words that mean a lot to me when i'm on trail and when i always am on trail trying to if i run into through hikers like i've been doing small sections of uh, the oregon trail on the pct and or the oregon section of the pct and uh i'm always careful about what i say to through hikers and and that's because most most of the time so I I feel like majority of trail you're hiking you run into a day hike or something and you tell them what you're doing and they're like oh my god that's amazing well have a good one be safe and <laughs> and it's like well yeah <laughs> definitely I'm trying to be but it's, it's like not really the most encouraging thing in the world it's like I am trying to be safe every day but uh there's a couple words out there like that where someone says something and they don't they don't think it's bad and it's really not bad it's really coming from a great spot but it doesn't have the emotional impact of like you know, saying like a goodbye. Cause that's probably the only time to see him. And I ran into a guy on the AT, um, somewhere, I think I was somewhere in like, uh, New Jersey. And as I was passing him, you know, he, he said, Oh, you're hiking the trail." I said, yes, sir. And he said, he said, awesome. You're going to make it, man. And then he turned around and left. And I said, thanks. But I mean, like when he said you're going to make it, no one had ever said that to me. No one I, at one point on the trail, when I was passing myself, no one had said you're going to make it. And it was like a complete mind shift for me. It was like, I am going to make it. You're right. Like, geez, I, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Cause you're living in this. I remember like the first 500 miles you're, you don't consider yourself a thru hiker for the longest time. Or at least I did I for 500 miles. I thought, Oh man, I mean, I'm, I'm hiking this long distance trail, but you, you know, you're not really, you don't consider yourself a thru hiker until you finish because there's so much of that pressure with like society and friends and, If you're the guy who quit, you're the guy who quit. Like, Oh, I knew a guy who tried it, you know? But by the time I made it to like Harper's Ferry at the, like basically the thousand mile marker and and the halfway point of the AT, um, it kind of started clicking and it was like, Holy cow, I'm, I'm a thru hiker. Like I'm doing this. Like I'm no longer attempting. I'm, I, I have shown myself I'm capable of this and hopefully I can make it all the way without something to stop me, like an injury or, or something on like an outside pressure. But yeah, it, it's kind of crazy that the mind shift isn't there. Whereas like when I went to the Colorado trail, I was a through hiker already. It's like, I I knew I was through hiking and, and I was going to do my best to finish it. And that's something I tried to say to, to all of those first timers too, that were out there on their first through hike. And I, you know, I was like, well, you guys are through hikers now, you know, like, and I think I could see the lights go off in their heads where they're like, well, I'm not a through hiker. I haven't finished. And, and it's like, but you are, you know, you are doing this. You're already there believe in yourself at that point and and it's crazy the mind shift that happens and you can see like the smiles occur too and yeah I try to say it to everyone like you're gonna make it like I know you can't like it's very possible the hardest part is definitely a mental game and unless someone's handing you combat bars I mean they still think you can do it but yeah
1: it's the difference between attempting and owning it absolutely
0: it is it's a, it's a there's, you're definitely there. It's like you are attempting it, but if you can remind yourself that you are doing it and owning owning that that spot. Like for me, that's when um, the most incredible trail magic and the most incredible things in my life have occurred. And that's the one thing I took away from trail. Like the biggest thing I took away was when I started realizing where I am in life. You know, like on the trail, it took me the longest time to be like, I'm through hiking this trail and I'm here and this is where I'm at. Like, this is exactly where I'm at. Like not living in the future. Like what's going to happen when I'm back at home, sitting on my couch, drinking coffee, watching Netflix or not living in the past. Like, man, I really miss uh, doing this with my friends. Like when I really owned that, I was walking on this long distance trail. It was like my whole world had shifted because I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Like that's how it felt. And then because of that, I mean, I was walking out a trailhead and like pouring downpours um, and walking out and about to put my thumb out for a hitchhike, and cars would pull up and be like, eh, you need a ride? And be like, oh, yeah, actually, I, how did you know? Like, it was kind of weird things like that. It was very synchronous. Uh, like, my whole life started becoming like that, where it was no longer a coincidence. It just felt like I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And that's the biggest thing I try to do in my life now is, is remind myself, like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be at this moment in my life. And and really, how, how do you own that? Like, how do you take, um, take that and, and respect it and utilize it? Like, even right now, I'm in Northeast Texas and I wasn't really planning on being here this long, but it's like, I am. And it's been incredible because I'm with some of my closest friends and we're able to make amazing music and we have time to do that. Like our, our worlds can kind of pause and we can do this. And that's like the beauty of kind of living in that moment. So the moment when you, you really, start to believe who you are, where you're at. And at least see like, yeah, maybe you're trying to get somewhere in the future and maybe have those plans. But right now you're here. How are you going to get there? Eventually you have to be right in that moment and that time. That's when your life really starts to change and take off in my mind.
1: The universe starts providing.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. The universe provides, trail provides and you're, you're living completely within your synchronicities of life. It's kind of wild. And that's, you know, that's like, it's kind of like how I met Mandy, um, from purple rain skirts. You know, I, uh, I was, uh, I was at a, an event in 2019. We were at a friend's house, like a little shindig. And, uh, our friend, his name was Tomahawk and he had a mutual friend. He was telling me about for a while. He was like, I got this friend. She was a thru hiker. She did it in 2012. He had done it in 2011." And I was like, oh, great. Can't wait to meet her. And I and I finally get the introduction. He was like, oh, here's my friend Mandy. And I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And we shake hands and she's wearing bedrocks like I am. She's got this red skirt on, she's got yellow hair. And I was like, all right, this is cool. And, you know, we start having a conversation and a chat. And and then, I, you know, of course, when you're through hiking or you've been a through hiker, you're, you're pretty much curious, like what your trail name was or what the story was. And I said, what was your channel name? She goes, Purple Rain. And I, and I looked at her because I knew Purple Rain skirts were in Southern Oregon. But I looked at her like, only time I've ever been starstruck or like celebrity struck in my life <laughs> thus far. And I was like, huh? are you Purple Rain from Purple Rain skirts? She was like, yeah, you've heard of my skirts. And I was like, ah, like, just kind of like, no way. Like you're here <laughs> in the flesh. Like I really geeked out. It was really funny. Cause, and then it all made sense. I was like, red skirt, yellow hair, bedrock, through hiker, boom. And then like, it just like, it hit me like a wave. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so rad!" And and just yeah, we kind of hit it off and and got talking. The and then um, yeah, then that's how we kind of later on. Um, you know, we would talk about like branding and, and ideas and, and marketing and such. And that's where uh, my degree came into play. And and I he would hang out and talk about that. And at one point, she said, "Yeah, you want to help me with some of the stuff that I'm working on?" And I said, "Heck yeah!" And then we kind of started working together. And now I'm helping her out with Purple Rain skirts, and she's helping me develop my professional uh, career as well. So it's really fun to be a uh, on the skirt squad. you know?
1: It all sort of comes together.
0: It really does. Absolutely. And that's, uh, and I ended up doing the Colorado trail in a purple rain skirt. She, uh, she made a custom skirt for me, uh, in exchange. I did some, uh, while she went out of town, I worked, uh, and helped her out with some orders, uh, while she was gone. So I, when people placed some orders, I would you know, package them up and send them out and it was it was so cool when she offered to do a custom skirt and i said yeah get as funky with it as you want like i would love that and also <laughs> can you take 2 inches off the length because uh, i'm a short guy and she's like absolutely and so uh yeah i ended up with this like awesome you know baby blue skirt with red coral pockets with a purple waistband and i love oh, wow. it like i'm actually i'm in it right now which is really funny um but i wear it all <laughs> the time and uh yeah i mean even i think I ran into maybe one or two other people on the Colorado trail with skirts, and they they were like, "Whoa, where'd you get that?" I was like, it's "Purple red skirt." I was like, what? I said, "Yeah, they do custom skirt orders, you know." And I, it's so handy. It's a, it's, a, it's become one of my favorite pieces of gear for sure. For now, is a, it a number skirt or reasons. a reasons. So okay, so technically it's a kilt.
1: Okay. So
0: so my so the men's versions are are technically kilts but I still look at it as like a skirt. It's totally, mm-hmm. to me, it's a skirt. Um, and I have no problem saying that. Like I meet some guys here and there and they're like, Oh, you know, it's always a kill. And it's like kind of like a macho thing. And I don't really have, that's not something that bothers me. I, I think it's cooler that it's a skirt in my mind. So yeah, but it has the option too. Like it has buttons on it. Uh, that way I can connect the legs if I want to be decent, so I can make it into shorts as well. So it definitely, has has a multitude of uses and i think it also helped me a lot when i was hitchhiking recently on the colorado trail and you know twirling my umbrella in the direction of the cars while well, throwing out the thumb and like kind of like shaking it up a little bit and i think it was definitely <laughs> and not only was like eye grabbing and maybe people thought i was a, a, a beautiful girl behind the umbrella but it also is so uh unthreatening you know like, i was also wearing a, uh, a shirt that had flamingos on it and it was blue and it had all these other like highlightable colors on it and drinks. And so I, when you look at me, cause I can't grow a beard I and mean, you're like, Oh, that guy, he's wearing a skirt. Like, what's he going to do? You know, like very easy to pick up someone like me, uh, wearing something like that. So yeah, it's incredible.
1: And I bet that there is multitude of conversation about it as well.
0: Absolutely. It's such a conversation starter, you know, and, and, not only that, but then people want to try it on, and that's the funniest part. I'm like, really? You want to like you want to give it a go? All right, because I always wear briefs under mine, and so I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, put it on. And the moment someone steps into the shirt, I can I feel like they they experience the same feeling I had when I put the first shirt I had on, and it was it's like just like freedom. You have complete freedom. You're like, wait a minute, is that is that the breeze that I'm feeling? And and you're like, wow. <laughs> Cause like with, with pants or shorts, you know, if you take a long enough step, you're jumping over like a puddle or something like that. You can feel the, sh- the short, like kind of like stretch a little bit, mm-hmm. not with the skirt, you can just go, you know, or, or even, yeah, you can lift it up. I mean, shoot, I've like taken it off to do like water crossings. Um, it's great. And my favorite part, uh, about having a skirt in my life is, uh, like when, when I would go into town, sometimes don't have like laundry facilities whenever you're trying to like get in get out for the night or something so if we're in like a like an airbnb for instance some airbnbs don't have that option to like wash your clothes so i could like take off my briefs take off my shirt go into the shower and use those as like loofahs essentially and just like put some soap on them wash up my body and by the time i'm done with that my shirt and my shorts smell great they're clean you know and i can wring them out let them dry but the skirt never held a smell because it's, it's basically touching your body right on your waistline with the, with the, uh, the yoga right. band, uh, but that's it. I mean, you can still put on the skirt and it looks, it doesn't look too dirty because it the material really sheds most dirt, most water. Um, and yeah, I mean, it didn't smell. It was incredible to be able to do that and just have it on and just slip it on. And then if I want to change in public, I can just slip stuff on and off in public. I mean, it, it's mo- one of the most handy pieces of gear I've ever had. And it folds up to the size of like two fifths, you know, if you stack them on top of each other. It's, it's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's definitely, crazy. It's, fun. it's crazy. And it's so fun to be uh, like a part of something that I really believe in. Yeah, that's cool. Are we going to get you in a skirt? Is that the plan?
1: Well, if I get out on the trail, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. I'm, I, it's so funny that you say all that because I'm not generally a skirt person. And I guess uh-huh. the, the last skirts that I, that I wore, the last skirts that I had to wear were f- when I was working at Arthur Anderson. So they were very tailored and, and what have you. Um, uh-huh. Not the the freedom of movement of which you speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not like more of like a professional skirt. Is what you yes, mean. Like exactly. The, business, exactly. Business tire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's It's not something that's totally normal in our society either. I mean, when I was uh, going into the whites on the Appalachian Trail, I don't think it's a, a tradition every year uh, at this point, but during my year in 2014, it was a tradition to uh, go into town, like to a goodwill, grab a really cheap dress as if you were male or female, and uh, and hike up into the whites from uh, from basically the trailhead up to Mount Musulaki uh, in a skirt or in a, not a skirt, in a dress. So my whole crew that I was hiking with at the time, we all went into town. We all got different skirts. Uh, we looked like the breakfast club. It was incredible or, or like, you know, an older ladies breakfast club, uh, <laughs> a, a seasoned breakfast club. And, uh, and we, uh, we all hiked into the whites. It was our first ticket in. And it was just kind of the Northbound tradition that year to do that mountain in a dress. And I wore this like beautiful, like, blue flowered green highlighted like dress basically. Uh and it was great. It was so comfortable. I had no idea that my legs could have that much freedom essentially. And yeah, I got a ton of weird looks going up that mountain. And I'm also <laughs> dripping sure. in sweat. Like I I'd have known I'd have pulled out like the little liner that's in there first and then worn uh-huh. it. But you know, I I didn't know that at the time. I was just happy it fit, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, exactly. I get to Mount Musilaki. I like take a cool picture with my armpits hanging out of the dress and all the hair and my backpack above my head. And as soon as I put it down, I instantly changed because it was just sobbing wet. I sweat a ton when I'm hiking. And this gal was up there taking pictures uh, with her partner. And she goes, what are you going to do with the dress? And I said, probably throw it away. And she goes, can I have it? And I, <laughs> I cracked up. because so I was like, are you sure you want it? It's like, it's gross. And she was like, yeah, it's totally like those are some of my favorite colors. And it looks like it would fit me if it fits you. And so I was like, all right, sure. And I never saw that dress again. But she took it home and I imagine she's still hiking in it. So <laughs> pretty wild.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe she'll hear the, the podcast and she'll post a picture of it. That would be awesome.
0: <laughs> I hope so. That'd be nuts. Yeah. I mean I mean it's I have photos on recently even on on my platform, uh, and Purple Rain Skirts platform, I posted a photo in that dress, um, as far as like like the get to know me bios because uh, i think it's such a great dress i really looked good in it but you know <laughs> i i think that moving to a skirt was a natural a natural thing especially uh yeah. if everyone's different body size everyone's different sizes and um like even me like my like i it just works so well for me i really enjoy it and i enjoy the conversation starter of it as well
1: so, oh i'm sure yeah it's sure great this is some great conversations
0: Yeah, I'm always so cozy and comfortable in it, too. Like, I'll wear, like, on cold days, I'll wear my wool leggings under it, do the skirt on top, and then uh, I'll wear, like, that Melanzana hoodie, and I'm, like, good to go. Pour me a coffee. We're we're in. I am very comfy.
1: You're ready to rock.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What is your trail name? So, my trail name has adapted.
0: uh, Just a hair from the Colorado Trail. So, uh, when I was on the Appalachian Trail, my trail name uh, was the greatest of all time. And I would, you know, fan my arms open, like a, like a big, like, like almost a hug, but kind of like a, like a show entertainer. Um, and that came from, I, I totally had to name myself, um, and strange name to pick. I know. Um, but it was like day two or three on the Appalachian trail. And we went to this huge hiker party gathering for like St. Patty's Day, basically, because my my trail anniversary was uh, like two or three days ago, so six years, you know, it's kind of kind of wild. And at this gathering, all these older heads were there. There was a bunch of new thru hikers, and they were asking everyone their trail names, and you know, none of us had trail names yet. But I was getting so pestered by it, and there was so much beer flowing, and so many hot dogs, and so I finally just came up, and I was like, uh, I'm gonna be the greatest of all time. And one of them was like, Love it. Everybody, this is the greatest of all time, and and kind of went from there. But it turned the joke was on me, because now the the abbreviation is goat, and <laughs> yeah. that's how that's how most people uh, refer to me. But the joke is really like I've mentioned, I've mentioned I can't grow the beard, uh, so I I could only. I mean, at the end of trail, I had a goatee, and every other person, every other male around me have these beautiful flowing names of beards. So that was it. Was like the greatest of all time, you know, like my little goatee kind of thing
1: uh and even now
0: i've been working on my mustache for this october will be three years it's kind of crazy it's, i just don't grow facial hair and i'm I'm blessed i feel you know but uh, not a hairy dude and uh and then on on the colorado trail when i was with kp we were in a, a hiker box and uh he was looking through and he found these leaves. and i was like oh my gosh dude you just found a pair of leaves. he said yeah i'm gonna leave them here and i said why he said, well, I don't need them. I have sunglasses. And I looked at him like, wow, that's, that's a good point. It's very noble of you. And I looked at him and I said, oh, I have sunglasses too, but I'm going to try those on real quick. And I put them on. And as soon as I put them on, he goes, whoa, you look really fast. And I said, I feel fast, man. And, uh, and so I carried the Oakleys knowing that there was a bunch of bike packers. So I figured that I would eventually catch up to at the miles that we were doing that, at one of the bike packers is what my, I was thinking eventually. And I never found that bike factor who probably was using them on, on their show rides. So I ended up hanging on to them, but I finally gifted my uh my sunglasses back to a hiker box. Um so I still wear those sunglasses and they kind of became known as like my seed goggles or my laser beams. And another guy I was hiking with whose trail name is uh gutter spike, he uh he had a joke about laser beams and uh one of his buddies would always say, Laser uh, and whenever he said that, his dog would come running, and he'd get out like the laser beam that you would use for cats. And he'd mm-hmm. like use the laser beam, and his dog would go nuts for it. So gutterspike Spike introduced the term "laser" to our whole you know little hiking group that we called the Bowling League. And anything that was worthwhile that we loved or was cracking us up or a joke or something that we thought was really cool, we would say "laser." And I I loved it. I took it to heart. I was like, man, laser's such a great way to express myself right now. And so they became the laser beams and then it became laser goat. So laser greatest of all time, but it's really just laser goat now. And now I'm no, now I'm not just one of the other goats out there. So I've I've embodied it. You're a
1: unique goat. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. So I'd like to get a patch made. I'd love to have a laser patch, like with like a goat with laser beams coming out of his eyes or something like that. Something funny. Um, But really it's, it's all good times. Yeah. It's, Yeah. It's funny. It's just, uh, you know, and, and people can choose their own trail names that they want. Some people want to be named something and there's some incredible names out there. Um, that one just happens to resonate with me and, and, you know, people like it and that's cool. And, and the biggest thing is that at least when you're on trail, people can know who you are and they can refer to you. And then if they're, if they think it's funny as well, like I loved it on the at when I'd run into someone and be like, Hey, how's it going? And they'd say, oh, I'm so-and-so and I'd say, I'm the greatest of all time. And friends call me Goat, and they'd be like, "Oh my God, you're the greatest of all time! What? I've been waiting to meet you!" You're Like, no way! It's such an honor! Like, it was so funny. Like, I don't think I met anyone who really like thought I was, you know, fool of myself or something because that definitely wasn't it. But Laser Goat is is the trail name.
1: And Laser is spelled L A Y Z E R. <laughs> well, Laser can be spelled multiple
0: ways these days. It's not. It's not true Laser okay. like L A S E R is definitely the way to spell that. Uh, just just mm-hmm. so those looking don't think I, I don't know how to spell laser, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've spelled it a couple of ways, like L-A-Z-U-H-R, like laser or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Just, uh, it's all the tones. So I've kind of went with what sounds the most, uh, drawn out, the laser goat, you know, or whatever, but even now it's just, yeah, we'll see something cool or. It's evolving. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the important part. I mean, some people hang on to their trail name and they keep it the whole time. And that's what I always intended to do. Um And some people also change their trail name eventually, or some people just don't adopt one at all. And that's, that's all rad. I just, I like the idea that it could adapt from trail. Like I definitely, if I did multiple trails, I wouldn't want to keep adding to it and be like, I don't know, like tree line, boomerang, mm-hmm. laser goat. Like I wouldn't want to do that. It'd be too much. But I like the idea behind it now because I wear those those same Oakleys every day, and the real joke behind those laser beams is just like as a, as being a slower hiker and fe- and not feeling as adequate as most of the other hikers that are just cruising by. Um, they make they do make me feel a little faster, and I even wrote I changed like my under my headline I changed my headline to athlete not because I'm actually a sponsored athlete or anything but because. Uh, I wrote a long post about acceptance and and like myself and wanting to be someone people could look up to eventually, or even like being an athlete. I've never thought of myself as an athlete, but that mindset, again, the change of mindset on trail of uh, going from like, man, I'm kind of slow to feeling like, no, 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 I'm not slow. I just, uh I'm just going a little slower than most people. Like I'm kind of fast. I'm fast on downhills, but you know, just that little shift of of mentality just made me feel that much better because otherwise, I would spend the whole trail thinking, man, I'm not that fast or man, I'm not as fast as everyone else. And my pack is kind of light, you know, it's, it's all this like social conditioning that has occurred over time, I guess, to me. And so that was a way for me to to break through that and make myself feel like I'm an athlete. Like I can do this. Like I'm capable of this trail and you know, the laser beams help. <laughs> they make me feel like the magic water from space jam or something, you know?
1: So, <laughs> yeah yeah all good time. no it is so much about how we talk to ourselves, so to speak absolutely that that determines how we respond to it. mhm, I completely agree
0: and i was I was kind of going through that i I feel like I've done that a lot where I think everybody does it. we have those kind of self talks we're like oh, like we could be better at this, we could be better at that we mm-hmm. as as a species, yeah. I think we kind of down ourselves a lot, and I don't know where what that is um but I try to remember that every day too, where if I like I'm having a bad day or if I'm having a moment like that where I just don't feel capable, I try to just remember that at least I'm aware that this is a feeling I'm having and that I can I can change my mindset on that. You know, I can I can go after it. I can I can I can make a difference about that. And who cares if you're slow, you know what I mean? Like that was my thing is like who cares if your pack weighs a lot, it's your first hike, or like who cares if your pack weighs a lot and it's your last hike or or your multiple hikes and who cares if you're slow, who cares what you're eating it cares. The way you read a book it cares. How you, if you talk to yourself out loud, because I talk to myself out loud all the time, and it's really awkward when someone runs upon you and and they see you talking to yourself. I've definitely done that a couple of times. But who cares? Like just you know, being your best you and being true to yourself. Like those are the things that sound super cliche, but when you actually buy into it and you start believing in yourself that you are capable of what you're doing, it's it's game changing. And that's, that's the difference. You know, that's what gets me to the end. You know, that's like, that's what makes me smile about being a thru hiker and being a part of this community is, is the trials and tribulations I've felt personally and gone through and experienced that have, that have helped me become a better person in life.
1: Where can people find you? Where should people find you if they want to ask you questions or follow your continuing adventures?
0: Sure. if uh, if people are interested and and I'm always open to share ideas or or strategies or gear talks or anything like that um, my the best platform to reach me on is Instagram at Indiana underscore tones underscore kind of like Indiana Jones but Indiana tones because uh, I also identify as a musician and that's kind of like I'm not, it's not stuck yet, but it's, I'm trying to make it my stage name, like Indiana Tones <laughs> on the saxophone, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: and that's Tones with an S on the end, right?
0: Yes, ma'am. T O okay, N E cool. S underscore. Yeah, experience it for you, you know, do do your experience. Don't let others hinder that or uh, push on it.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be fine. I think that that's the, that's the, challenge i mean besides the other challenges that come along with doing a a long distance hike like that i think Mm -hmm. that is the challenge is to to hike your own hike to do your own thing and be comfortable with that even knowing that you're going to be judged probably for it or you know what have you so
0: yeah absolutely and even even the hardest ones are like splitting from people if you really if you're really enjoying your time with them but you know Maybe they're going to town a little earlier than you or, or maybe you, as much as you enjoy that connection with those people that you're hiking with, you really like your pace, but maybe you also want to have that like solitary hike and experience the hike on your own for a little while. Like those are tough decisions to make when you may or may not see those people ever again, you know? And, and if you vibe yeah. with them and you want to hike with them, like those are, those are tough, but yeah, you'll, you'll be fine, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I think, you know, honestly, I think that's probably the biggest message for everybody, you know, besides all of the talk about gear and all of those stories and and all that, which is sort of going back to what that guy said to you on the AT, you know, you'll be fine. You'll figure yeah. it out.
0: Absolutely. You're going to you make, make it. it. You're going to yeah. make it. That's the thing. And as long as you believe it, you will definitely achieve it. Just uh, yeah. take your time. You know, a lot of people come out the gate and they want to bust out 30, 40 mile bays, and that's the quickest way to injure yourself and ruin your hike. You know, it's it's all about taking your time and li- listening to your body really. Cause I think even on the AT, I, I did like a 10 mile day, a 9.9, a seven, and then like a six. And then I started building up. And I remember my first major like double digit day. And then I remember my 20, my first 20. And then I remember my first 30, you know, it's like, you'll get there, but don't do it before your body says you're ready. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, you got a long way to go.
1: So. Speak a little louder. And when you find ourselves wishing that we could make a
0: bigger change. And find a better way.
1: Show notes and links for Anthony's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Anthony for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to seek out other people's stories and to share your own. I would guess that you probably have some time right now to sit around the metaphorical campfire and swap a few tall tales. I'll see you on the trail.